I want to talk to you this morning about, um, a, I'm going to talk to you about a thought I had this past week, but I'm not going to tell you what the thought was until I get to it, because it's in the middle of what I want to talk about, okay? So you're going to need to listen to the first part, and you're going to need after the middle, because it, anyway, but it, it hinged, it, it got me, it got me thinking about the people, you see, Jesus at this time of year. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is, you'll have heard it said, you'll hear Ellen say it, Jesus is the reason for the season. You'll see it on Christmas cards, you'll see it on church hoardings or banners or websites. And it's true. There would be no Christmas if it wasn't for the Son of God being born, Emmanuel, God with us, not just revealed to us, but God in us, revealed through us. Because somebody, somewhere, at some point, told you about this Jesus and what he did and why he did it. Somebody revealed him to you through their kindness, through their care, through the words that they shared. But I want to talk, I want to just take a whistle-stop tour through the people surrounding the birth of Jesus. And I want to talk to you about some thoughts, very brief thoughts, just simple thoughts about these different people. So I'm going to pitch in, I'm going to start with some prophets who spoke about him 700 years before him, turning up as the son of Mary and Joseph. Okay, so the prophets, uh, Isaiah and um, Micah are the two prophets that pointed to him. There are other references, but I just want to focus on these two. Prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, said this. For a child is born, this is Isaiah 9, well let me, Isaiah 7, 14 is where he pitches in first. And he says, a young woman will give birth to God's son. So he prophesies into the air, as it were, to a nation that God's son is going to be born to a virgin. And he declares this, a young woman will give birth to a son, and he makes that bold, courageous proclamation when the only thing he had to go on was what he sensed in his spirit God was saying to him. And so he he puts it out there, and it's written down, it's recorded, it's made note of, it's remembered. And here we are today in Clanetley, in Myrtle House, talking about the boldness, the courage of a man called Isaiah to make a declaration when it would have seemed crazy. What are you talking about? A child being born to a virgin. Don't, can't happen. But it goes on in verse 9, uh, sorry, in chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. In, I've written it out, but I've got it here on my electronic Bible, but I've written it out and I've underlined us because I thought, oh no, it, that's, that's not just us, it's me. I'm in that us. You're in that us. Not just the people who were living 700 years, nearly 3,000 years ago. It wasn't just to them, it was to you and me. A child is born to us, a son given to me, to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These names are not just, oh, it's like a name called Bill. 
a man called Bill or a man called William Paisley James. It's not just a name like a moniker. It's actually a descriptor of what he would do. His name signifies who he is. William means valiant defender. My name means, but I wasn't given the name William because mum wanted me or dad wanted me to be a valiant defender. But when this, this child that was born to us, his name, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Why? Because he will bring wonderful counsel. Why would he be called Mighty God? Because there will be nobody more powerful than him. All power, all authority, all majesty will be his. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his government and his peace and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. For all eternity, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Other translations say the zeal of the Lord will make this happen. And I thought, I like the word zeal. I like the word passionate commitment. But what does the word zeal mean? It means simply this. Great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or objective. So God has zeal that his son will rule and reign. Prophesied by courageous men speaking into the community, into the air, as it were, saying, this is who he is. This is who he's going to be. And Micah 5.2 records the prophet saying, this, this, person, this person is going to be born in a small town called Bethlehem Ephrathah, which is because there were two Bethlehems. So they identified, he identified the Bethlehem where Jesus would be born. These men spoke with courage. You see, I woke up this morning thinking, God, I've got some people that I've written down in my book here, in my journal. I've got some people, some characters that are like spokes in the wheel around the hub of Jesus' birth. But what, are, what am I, why am I going to be talking about this? What's the key? And I felt him say this to me this morning as I was laying in bed with my eyes closed saying, God, I just need some clarity here. And he said this, it's all about choice, but it's rooted in courage. It's all about choice, but it's rooted in courage. These prophets had a choice. They had a sense of what they should say, and they made a choice to declare. And they spoke out boldly, and it became so. The next people I want to look at are two uh, husband and wife, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Um, and Elizabeth eventually gave birth to a son who became known as John the Baptizer. It's the cousin of Jesus. But they had been praying for a son. They had been praying for a son, longing for a son, and the son they didn't have. And then God, through his angel, Gabriel, speaks to Zechariah when he's ministering in the temple and declares, you're going to have a son, and you're going to call him John. And he says, how do I know you're true? How do I know that's true? And he says, well, listen, you're not going to speak until he comes to fruition and he's born because they had longed and longed and longed, but God had put a pause on because the timing needed to be right. So they had to have the courage to hold on to their hope and not lose hope in the fact that they had not yet seen an answer to their prayer. And they had to hold on. Hold on. 
and be courageous and trust that God would come through for them. And then he does. And they have a son, and we know that if you read the story, if you know the story, this baby in his mother's womb, when he encounters the pregnant Mary, he leaps for joy in his mother's womb at the presence of Jesus in his mother's womb. Extraordinary. But you see, their courage and choice hinged on timing. You see, God was involved and he wanted to have the timing right. The next person that we see in the, one of the spokes in the story is Gabriel. He turns up. He's in Daniel, in the book of Daniel. He speaks. He's the messenger angel. He speaks to Daniel. But here he speaks to, uh, to Zechariah in the, in, the, in the temple. And he has this incredible privilege of speaking to Mary and declaring to Mary that you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. You're going to give birth to a son whose name would be Jesus. And he speaks, this angel speaks to Joseph also. He speaks to him and says, listen, you are going to be, and this is my hinged thought, because I had this thought during the week, goodness me, Joseph was a godfather. Joseph was a godfather. We, uh, I'm a godfather, but I don't know where those children are. Because I haven't got contact with them. Some of you would have been asked to be a a godfather to somebody where you take spiritual responsibility to pray for this child. And that you will be involved in this child and introduce them to Jesus and back up the parents in their role of parenting. And And it's a privilege to be asked to be a godfather. But Joseph is privileged to be asked to be God's father. Just an extraordinary, and I, I was blown away with that, that thought that he was the guardian of God. He had to look after Mary, the mother, but he had responsibility for this child. He had to provide for the child, nurture the child, parent the child alongside Mary, working and earning and being the responsible man, being the responsible dad. An ex- extraordinary, the guardian of God, the protector of God's plan. The protector of God's God's plan was to redeem mankind through this baby who would grow to be a man that would go to the cross, f- conquer death, Satan, hell, and sin, so that the world could be redeemed, that there was a way to be in the presence of God. And Joseph has the responsibility. I think, wow, wow, thank you, Joseph. But Joseph needed to be made ready. He needed to be, he needed to have his courage pumped. Don't be afraid, the angel says. He needed to make the choice to be the present dad, not the never present father. He had to take his responsibility seriously. He was encouraged in his choice. And then there's Mary. What can you say? Mary. This young woman who encounters an angel declaring to her that, listen, you're going to have a baby. And she says, how's that going to happen? He said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you'll be carrying the Son of God. And she says this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. 
I don't want to say any more about her. I just want to say, wow, what courage. What courage facing the shame of community because she wasn't yet married. And she was willing. She was bold. She was courageous enough to say, here I am, Lord. I'll count me in. You see, Zachariah, when he was told that his wife was going to have a baby, he needed proof. Mary just trusted. And I want to say, both is okay. Both is okay, because John the baptizer was born, and so was Jesus born. Zachariah wasn't denied because he didn't quite get it, and Mary wasn't kind of... uh, blessed beyond because she just embraced it it was because they both made a choice to be courageous even even when we're confused we can still choose to be courageous caesar augustus is a spoke in this wheel of christmas the the roman governor of the of the area decides, and and I've done a bit of reading around this because I wasn't sure if it was right. This is the only time, this is the only time a Roman governor calls a census. Now that isn't the only time. Many, many censuses were taken in the Roman Empire, but this is the only time recorded by Josephus, a Roman historian. It's the only time recorded where the people who are going to be part of the census, have to go to their hometown. Not where their home is, which would make sense. All the commentators say that if you're going to take a census, you need to know where the people are and what they've got, because then you can tax them. But this Caesar decides that you're going to have to go to your place of birth Because in your place of birth, we're going to then censor you. We need to know where you come from. That is why Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem. Where Micah says, the Son of God will be born. And so Caesar Augustus is used by God. He's used by God, and I love the fact that God uses people and circumstances and situations that confuse us and confound us, and yet his plan is being outworked all the time. And when your circumstances are confusing, if you trust in him, be courageous and keep trusting in him, even though it's confusing, even though it's challenging. He did it because... His governing emotion was anxiety, fear of being usurped, fear of actually not knowing what was going on. Another spoke in this wheel that centers around the birth of Jesus are the angels. These heralds, these these beings that are honored by God with the privilege of announcing the birth of the Savior of mankind. That's it. They're servant beings created by God. And these were honored by him to give announcements. And so they announced to the shepherds. Another spoke in this wheel. These shepherds, favored by God, the people that actually, they weren't despised. 
They were just insignificant and marginalized because of their role, because of their job. And yet, they're favored by God to be the first to hear that the son is born. The son is born. And sometimes we can feel marginalized and overlooked. And I want to say, listen, God's got his eye on you. He knows you. Whether you know him or whether you don't know him, he knows you. You might feel marginalized. You might feel insignificant. But listen, when God whispers something into your heart, it's because he wants you to be encouraged and strengthened. He wants you to know that this child who was born into this world that's being celebrated around this globe, he came for you. He came for me. You're not insignificant. You're loved by him. You're loved by him. And then we sang a song about three wise men. Three wise men. Or well, let me tell you, it wasn't just three wise men. Uh, it would never have been three wise men. They would have had an entourage. There could have been many more than three wise men in this party that had traveled because they sensed God was leading them and guiding them, but they bought three gifts. And so for Christmas cards, it's easier to put three people because they represent gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And uh, it's easier to sing a song about three wise men rather than a crowd of wise men or 25 wise men or 38 wise men. It just doesn't rhyme. But three wise men, it kind of works. And it's, but it's become a tradition that's not accurate because it was many wise people. But they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I want to say that they traveled because God had touched their heart with revelation, and they were determined to play a part because of that revelation. And so they brought what they could, and they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they gave it to this baby, but it would have been stewarded by Joseph, under the guidance of Mary, maybe, but they would have been, Joseph would have been taking responsibility for the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, which represented, gold is representing the kingship of this baby. Frankincense is representative of worship to this king, and myrrh is representative of death and mourning given to this savior who was born to die to rise to life again, conquering death and hell and Satan and sin, so that you and I wouldn't just sing carols at Christmas, but that each day that we have breath, we would say, God, thank you for living and dying, for saving me, for turning my life right side up so that I can live for you to the best of my intentions, without being religious, but being faithful and courageous, making choices that honor you. Then we have um, this spoke that I don't really want to spend much time talking about, but Herod. Herod plays a part in this circle, in this wheel. He is a spoke. He was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. I don't know whether you know that, but it's said that he was the last of the tribe. And I find it interesting that 
Well, just look at how Jesus actually deals with Herod when he confronts Herod. But Herod has a role in this story. You see, Jacob and Esau were in conflict from birth. And it ensued, uh, this conflict ensued between their descendants all the way down through history. And so, so this Herod decides that this baby Jesus, who the wise men have pointed his attention to, is going to usurp his authority because he represents the, 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 my enemy tribe. So I'm going to do for him. I'm going to do him in. And he has this role to play. But I love the fact that God outmaneuvers him. God outmaneuvers him. And I just want to say to you this morning that, you know, many times the enemy of your soul, my soul, will come against you and give you a hard time. Tell you that you're this, that, or the other. Will tell lies about you. Will cast aspersions about you. Make you think you're less important than you really are to him. And yet God wants you to know that he will always outmaneuver the enemies of your soul. He will always outmaneuver them. Always. He is for you. Then the last couple of people in this story that I want to just say a couple of thoughts about. It's Simeon and Anna. She's known as Anna the prophetess. It's in Luke 2, 25 to 38. Simeon is told by God that he wouldn't die until he saw the baby Messiah. And so he lived faithfully, hoping and trusting, making decisions birthed out of the courage of his convictions that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. He held on and held on and held on and he trusted and trusted and trusted and and God honored him. And he got to hold the baby Jesus when Mary... And Joseph brought him to the temple. He got the fulfillment of God's promise. It manifested in his arms. He held the baby. Wow. He held the baby. The God had whispered to his heart and said, you will not die until you see the Messiah. And Anna, I'm blown away by Anna. There's only three verses that record anything about her. And what we know is that she was married only for seven years, and then her husband died. And then for the rest of her life, 84 years, she lived as a widow in the courts of the temple, every day praying, worshipping, and fasting, waiting with anticipation for the Messiah. And she got to see the baby, her Redeemer King, her passion for him never wavered, despite her circumstances. You see, widows, if they had no family, they were the ones that would fall between the cracks of community. That's why the scriptures point us, as followers of Jesus, to always be paying attention to the widows, the orphans, the foreigners, people who'd not part of uh, my family, people that are not part of this community, that travel into this community. That's why it's brilliant to have so many nationalities here. We want to honor people. We need to look after people who have traveled from somewhere else to live in this community, and we need to be their friends. It's biblical. 
Because it's, he says in his word that he puts the lonelies in family, the lonely in families. And this is meant to be a church family. That's why we're going to eat together in a minute. Well, I'm going to eat anyway. But Anna, full of passion for the Redeemer King, she had the courage to carry on, on her own, when she would have been easily lost in community. She held on to her hope. And God blessed her and honored her. There's a a couple of quotes I want to read to you, and then uh, I want to wrap up by reading um, a psalm. Roosevelt is attributed with this quote, uh, but it's attributed to um, the Princess Diaries film as well, (laughs) if you you Google this quote. Uh, And it says this, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. Let me say it again. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. See, this Christmas time, this Christmas time, it takes great courage to step out and believe that Jesus died on the cross for you because it will change everything for you. Change everything. Suddenly your focus will shift. Your heart will be delighted by things that it's never really normally been delighted by. Suddenly there will be a passion in you to live intentionally for others because of something that has shifted in you. And many people say, no, uh, no, I'm not ready. No, he can't love me because I'm too horrible. They'll make all sorts of excuses because they're driven by a fear of the unknown. But I want to say that Christmas is about the God of heaven coming to be fully with you, in you, and to be revealed through you. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. Mark Twain said it like this, similar point, but he says it slightly differently. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. So many look to eradicate fear from their lives when that is an impossible task. You can certainly experience moments of absence of fear whenever you are in the process of living creatively. The challenge is to go ahead regardless. Simple, simply notice the feelings and then manage being courageous. And I want to say that when you choose to believe and you manage your, your fear and you choose to be courageous, you too will be a spoke in the wheel that God is creating called his church, his bride, that he's coming back for. But you have to choose to be courageous. You have to choose to play your part, whatever part it might be. Psalm 23. Let me read it to you. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. I'm reading this because this is why he came. This is why he came. To conquer death and hell and Satan and sin. But David, who wrote this psalm, knew him. Knew him as king and lived for him. And he wrote this. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus came, born of a virgin, prophesied from old. Many people played a part in the spokes of the wheel of his birth. People opposed him, criticized him, misunderstood him, and yet he stayed his course because he knew that you mattered. You mattered to him. He wanted you to understand his love, his forgiveness, his salvation for eternity so that you could say alongside David that you will be able to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. That's what Christmas is about. So I would say to you, please, play your part in making him known. Be a brilliant spoke in the wheel of God's kingdom coming in this community, in your family, in through your circumstances, he will be glorified. Whether it's tough and you, you just got to trust him for his timing. Whether you, you're, you are holding on by the skin of your teeth, hold on. He is not going to let you down. He will come through for you. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Make him the greatest decision of your life. Make him, following him this Christmas, the greatest thing you've ever done. And if you've already done it, press in. Press in. There's more of him for you to experience, more revelation of who he is for you to experience, so that you can be stronger, firmer, more faithful. I'm going to pray. Jesus, I'm so thrilled to know you. Not just to know about you, but to know you, to hear your voice in my thoughts, and to read your words and sense your spirit bringing them alive to me, to see love conquering where fear has destroyed, where hope manifests, because you fill us with hope. So that out of our hopefulness, we can minister to those who are struggling and feeling lost. That our lives can make a difference to many. Lord Jesus, I pray 
that each of us this Christmas time would know your presence. If we've never encountered you, if we've never heard about you, or this, these thoughts are just a fresh revelation, I pray, God, that you would actually speak personally to each and every one of us so that we might know so clearly that we can trust you and put our hope in you and follow you so that this world encounters you through us. God with us, revealed in us. I pray, Emmanuel, be glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to quickly tell you a story that's going to be very vague because I don't want you to know who I'm talking about. Uh, it's not somebody that's here, so it's outside of this place. But this, this person has recently uh, given their life, to Jesus, their life to Jesus. And uh, the fire in this young person's life is just quite extraordinary. And um, they were desperate um, because they'd been hearing Holy Spirit speak to them. Okay, so they, they got saved. It was, it's quite a dramatic uh, story. It's quite extraordinary. And one day maybe we'll uh, ask this person to share their story. Um, but he, he told me on Friday that he was praying because he felt distant from God. He said, I hadn't heard God speaking to me. I've been reading the Bible and I felt nothing. I just felt distant and I didn't know what was going on. And so I'm crying out, God, please, will you speak to me? And um, this stranger spoke to him and prophesied over him and prayed for him. And the moment this person prayed for him, he had an encounter with Jesus. And it was in a car park. It wasn't in church. It was in a car park. And in this encounter, he said to me, he said, I sensed, I could hear the person praying for me, but then I could hear Jesus talking to me. And I sensed him beside me, and then behind me, and then in front of me, and then in me. And he spoke to me. He spoke to me. And he encouraged me. And this guy is glowing and excited about what God is doing for him and through him. And I just want to tell you, that's a modern story that was told to me on Friday. It's not just something that I've listened to or read. It's a person's testimony from this week just gone, where they have had a full-on experience of Jesus in a car park that answered their prayer and has emboldened them and encouraged them to keep on doing what he feels God is calling him to do. So pray with expectation. God is in the business of making people like you and people like me spokes in his wheel of his kingdom coming for his glory and for the salvation of your friends and mine, your family and mine, this community and yours. I want to ask a question. Can you believe that? That he would use you? Oh. <laughs> so much doubt. No. Yes, can you? 
Oh, I'm having to really work hard to get you to think about this. Do you think he can use somebody like you? I'm not looking through you. I'm looking at you. All right? He can. And he longs to. Okay? So God bless you.